You weren't a professional if you, if you went around tatting for me. No. If you want me as your architect, yeah, here I am. Ever since he hadn't touched a cooker or a pan or anything. I'm very proud of the fact that the first piece of publicity was headed this monstrosity. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near that bloody thing. <laughs> really? How on earth did you get this publicity? He was absolutely furious. Couldn't create anything out of, it, out of thin air. He said, you can't do that. It's the best thing in the house. He provided us with what we didn't know we needed. You've got to be questioning not only what you do, but why you do it. I don't know what else I'd do. Those are just a few of the quotes from this wonderful interview with world-renowned architect Peter Aldington, OBE, and Margaret, his wife of 60 years. Incidentally, he hates it. (laughs) He hates it when I refer to him as world-renowned, but, well, that is kind of what he is. Uh, It is always a pleasure. It is always a pleasure to sit and talk with him as he is incredibly likeable and funny, as well, of course, as being a world-famous creative. He also happened to design the studio and garden where we have based ourselves for the past decade or so. And for those of you who've been here, you'll know what I mean when I say it is a privilege to have such a cool location for our photography business. I'm Paul. And this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. So it's been a while, and for that, I am sorry. It's just been a very busy start to the year. And I say start, I mean it's May. Uh, A couple more weeks and we are at the midpoint of 2023. Uh, But for those of you who have emailed in to check we're okay because there have been no podcasts, thank you for worrying. But we are doing amazingly well. We may just have bitten off a little more than we could normally chew. Uh, And as it happens next week, Sarah and I are celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. 20 years of happy wedded bliss Uh, with a trip to Spain to enjoy the culture, the history, the sunshine, and just a little sherry. Please don't judge me. Anyway, I'm not going to wrap it on too much ahead of this interview. Rather, we'll get straight into it. Uh, The interview had been scheduled and then rescheduled and rescheduled again numerous times, as I have wanted to talk to Peter and Margaret about their work and life together for seemingly a very long time. I will post a link to Peter's bio, but in summary... Peter is a British architect with more listed buildings, which just means they're legally protected, more listed buildings in his own lifetime than any other architect. His garden here at Turnend, the one we share, the one we use, the one we photograph our clients in, is also a uniquely 20th century garden to be awarded similar listed protection. But you would never know this when you talk to him as he is quietly spoken and modest about pretty much all of his achievements. I should also just point out uh, that I planned the interview to be about creativity, how different influences weave into your ideas and how you stay energised. But in the end, as you will hear, all of my plan and corresponding research went straight out of the window. And this conversation is almost entirely about partnerships, the partnership between Peter and Margaret, of course, but creative partnerships as well as relationships with a client. Not quite what I had envisaged, but no less fascinating, because it's about the successes and sacrifices that were made along the way. For me, well, for me, it was an honour to be sitting in the living room with two people who have had such a profound impact on British architecture and indirectly an impact on our little business here too. Oh, and I should just say before I hit the play button, you should know that this was recorded in their living room on one of the windiest days I can remember. It has taken me a couple of weeks of editing just to remove the background noise and clean up the recording so it didn't sound like we were in a period drama on a windy clifftop. As ever, my own curiosity got ahead of me and my plan, and so I started by asking them how they met. And that, broadly speaking, is how the conversation went. It's Margaret's voice you hear first, though I guess that might be obvious. I was very keen on rock climbing, and the rest of my group were going off to the Alps, And it was generally agreed with myself, most of all, that I was not ready for the Alps. So I went off to the Isle of Skye by myself. I'd been there before and, you know, we'd done several climbs, so I was fairly confident. But I don't have to climb. I just love being in mountain country. 
And at the time, we were very friendly with Hamish and Catherine McInnes. He was a very famous mountaineer. He died last year and leader of a mountain rescue team, the person who started up the Search and Rescue Dogs Association. And Catherine was rather worried about this person who was reasonably new to climbing, going off to somewhere like the Coolin by herself. So when Peter happened to come up also on his way to Skye and drop in on them, Catherine said to him, keep an eye open for her. So, you know, he did. And this particular evening, I was in Glenbrittle Beach. Uh, this, this is a diversion, but it's a funny story. I had a very small, and what was in those days, a huge initiative, little pod tent. Cotton, very strong, very portable, and a sleeve entrance. And when I woke up in the morning, I found not only two lines of similar tents, but seven guy, main guys across my main entrance, so I wasn't going anywhere without <laughs> every one of these people knowing. And quite unlike any other army unit, these people were silent. They had no mess tent, a couple in each tent messed for themselves. They had no insignia. They spoke several languages, and I drew my own conclusions about that, so when they realized that I wasn't another such, they, uh, well, I crawled out. I could see from their faces, but they weren't approaching me and they weren't saying anything, but they were rather apologetic. And I decided my best defense was just to disappear and go off for the day. When I came back, the nearer tents had withdrawn. The next day, Peter turned up the tents had gone overnight silently. They were, in fact, very specialist commandos in training. And as I was backing out of the sleeve entrance, Peter addressed a pair of mountaineering boots and a bottom. Are you Margaret Olding? Are you a friend of Catherine McInnes? And so, much surprised, I said yes. So that's how we met. How did you know it was Margaret? I was going on a holiday with a friend who I met by doing national yeah. service. Peter had dropped in on Catherine in Germany. and Hamish McInnes on his way up. And when Catherine found this out, she said, uh, you know, keep an eye, uh, keep a lookout for her. So I addressed a pair, of, uh, what I thought was a pair of climbing boots. Well, it was. It was. With the phrase, are you a friend of Catherine McKinney? It's a great line, isn't it? <laughs> so love at first sight, but the sight of a pair of boots. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the rear end of a pair of climbing britches, yes. And so did you then go off climbing? Yes, because the friend he was with was on national service and they were in Germany and they'd been climbing on a little rocky outcrop, which in I the, found... In the Eiffel Mountains on the, on the Dutch border. Which, looking at it, I found horrible. The rock was really friable and it consisted of a lot of pebbles embedded in rather soft, friable, I would call it shale. But anyway, this required very delicate climbing. Jeff, who had been brilliant at this, was absolutely horrified at the size of the coolids at these great rock faces, pure rock. And after the first day, backed out. So Peter and I became climbing partners. And Jeff was also a photographer. And uh, I mean, obviously, in the evenings, we were eating together. Oh, that was the other thing. I'd walked in anyway through uh, the hills, so I was very lightweight, and my rations for the week were Complan, which was providing all the vitamins and minerals that I would need, lots and lots of chocolate for the carbohydrate, and um, oranges for you know the vitamin C and a bit of fibre. Uh, Peter was horrified at this diet. Uh, he'd, he'd driven into the campsite, which is on the other side of the Coolins, with a full kitchen. And uh, so I thought, oh, great, he's a cook, which I loathe. And uh, this was one of the things that um, attracted me. And <laughs> ever since he hadn't touched a cooker or a pan or anything. Is, is Sky really good for climbing? I know nothing about Oh, climbing, yes. It's, well, it's, it's one of the mecca. Uh, uh, the mecca in yes. this country. Yeah. Right. It is superb rock. It really is granular. So uh, when you're expert and confident, you can just stick to it more or less. It's, yeah. the, British, it's, it's, it's the Alps as far as 
climbing this country. Yes. Is it? That's why so many Scottish climbers in particular do very well to the continental surprise because, you know, they're they're already well trained. How big big is Skye? Well, it's a huge island. The island is huge, yes. Yes. I I mean, the Coolin Ridge is seven and a half miles long of that sort of terrain. Wow. And that's just a tiny corner of it. Wow. Wow. And then just over there's another huge mountain, Blavin, and then beyond that is what's called the Garden of Sky, and things grow there that, uh, you know, they can almost have tropical gardens oh, really? there on that side, yes. Amazing. It's, it's on my list to go, but, it, you know, it's like it, you always go to far-off places before you go to... Actually, Sky's a fair-off hike, isn't it? It's quite a long way. Oh, yes, 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 it is. Yeah. So, um, obviously, you met, and then you decided to see each other more, I guess. That was difficult. Peter was, was working in London, and at the time I was working in Glasgow and then latterly in, in Dundee. So we used to meet at weekends in the Lake District, which was difficult to say the least, but uh, we did. So um, obviously you met, you became a couple. At which point did architecture become part of your life? Oh dear, I haven't a clue. Um, well, you were already an architect. You had embarked, which is why he called in on Hamish and uh, Catherine, uh, because that's where you used to meet Mike White, uh, the first client for Ascot Green. Peter was an architect. He was right. talking about architecture. I was interested just because I've always loved shapes and rocks and uh, well, rock in any form yeah. and trees and the fact that Peter was building in uh, in blocks and very interested in wood. I think I just got dragged in that way. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I never intended to be a housewife. So a very good start to marriage was in, first of all, finishing off Ascot Green and then uh, building this place. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I remember Peter saying something about you bumped into the guy... I'm sure this is how you... T- but I could be wrong. I'm sure this is how I recollect you telling the story. It was you bumped into a guy on a mountain and it turned out to be the owner of your other house and he asked you to get involved with doing uh, the yes, architecture. Yes, that's, that- that's Mike White. Yeah, yeah um, I, I was post-National Service. I took myself on a a climbing course in Scotland. Uh, and part of this the, the, this course, uh, as things do... Took, took place around the fireplace in a pub. Uh, and the first thing I, I can remember about it is that uh, I, I found myself being quizzed by one of the tutors on this course, Mike White, um, who was contemplating building a house uh, in his landlady's back garden in uh, in Ascot, outside Princess Rismore. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, at some stage in that conversation, he was quizzing me about building houses and... Yeah. Cottage. I interrupted it and said, and "This is how you get your first quality client. I'm not answering any more questions, Mike. If you if you want me as your architect, here I am." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was appointed. It's quite impressive sales technique. In, in professional terms, in those days, that was very naughty. In what way was it naughty? Um, you weren't you weren't allowed to tout for business. Why? Well, how else do you get business? Well, precisely. <laughs> but the, the, those were the sort of professional rules. You know? Really? Yeah. You you weren't a professional if you if you went around touting for business. No, no. Is it still like that? In no. Market? Right. It, it, people do put themselves out there. Yeah, though. Yeah. Did you ever find? Did you find it easy to put yourself out there? Uh, well, I never got the opportunity. Really, I mean, the one and only. You know. You did it once. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the second building you're sitting in now. Mm. Well, yes. And after that, people came to us. Well, people yeah. came to us after Ascot. So, you know, over the years, obviously, you've designed plenty of houses. And I, there's a, uh, there was a, a lo- I don't know if it's a lovely term or not. Uh, when they took the photograph at the Telegraph, you were one of the gang of the living listed. Oh, yes. I yes. think that was the headline I used. And yes, I still, I just think it's hilarious. Yes, it um, did. The living list. We did too. Yeah, I'm not sure. How do you feel about that? No, I don't mind that. I'm very, very proud in a way. So um, in terms of that first building and in terms of, you know, that was the early part of your career, what were your influences and how did they become a building? Oh, dear, that's an interesting question. Um, a lot of the, uh, I can remember quoting... Scottish Crofts. 
right. uh, as being an influence. Um, I, I, I can't tell you why, but I, I, I related to the the sort of small, um, not self-built, but uh, sm small dwelling dwelling that, that sort of grew out of the hills, if you like. Right. Um, in other words, grew, grew out of the place where where it was indigenous. Um, there was also around about the time uh, that that time the exhibition in Whitechapel of was it? Yes, this I can is remember tomorrow. being strongly influenced by uh, a, an exhibition in Whitechapel Art Gallery, um, where a group of um, artists architects um, put put on put on a, on a display based on materials as found. Right. Um, which was an eye opener to me, uh, and I think they were they were promoting the, the the idea or the truth that you could create visual things out of everyday objects. Yeah, uh, they, they were saying that wood, for instance, which up to that time in this country was always painted, yeah. has an intrinsic quality of its own, and if you leave it, you know, the grain exposed let the wood do what it wants to do more or less without forcing it it shines out that this was once a living thing and indeed it is as you know yep. you live in an oh, old yeah. wooden house it moves it, <laughs> it creaks it gives <laughs> yep. and, the sa and the same way with all the materials we use in building uh, whether it's particularly as peter said the stone of the uh, highland houses you can see that these buildings melded with the earth because they were out of it yeah and uh, and also wasn't there something about light that using light is an element of architecture as well it had a quality of, well, its, uh, of its own of course uh, using light is an architecture well, you say of course but I mean I'm sitting in this beautiful room in your house in your home and one of the things that's always struck me, and I mean, obviously, I now reside in your <laughs> original architectural studio, um, is the way light fills certain parts of the building. The light's very directional. You use direction of light. You know, I'm looking at it here, and we've got big, high windows above me, a door, and a door on the other side that gives the light coming from the opposite direction. And your, all of your buildings seem to me to be like that was it an instinctive thing that you well it obviously is yes because you, you're both telling me what it's like <laughs> <laughs> yes is this going to be one of those interviews where I'm, I'm interviewing a world-renowned architect oh come on and you're, and you're going to shrug and say well I don't know how I did it well that's right <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that fills me with yeah. confidence yeah. or not I, I think actually uh, yes Peter is very very good at designing but the other reason why his houses have always fitted his clients so well is John Craig, right. who did all the interviewing, yep. and his sensitivity in drawing out of clients um, aspects of themselves and the way they would use a building or you know live, yep. well, which the, the, they perhaps that, didn't that, know. That was the key to, to the to partnership right. success. Yeah. I met John Craig when he lived at uh, Ascot Villa in, in Ascot. Um, because the first house I built was Ascot Green, which was just round the corner, and it got certain notoriety before before anybody had even been inside it. The first piece of publicity I got was a photograph of Ascot Green. Uh, I think it was the Bucks Herald. It was not the local paper, anyhow, um, and it was headed this monstrosity. And John, John, and, uh, too that, that felt was my that. First John publicity. hated it. And, uh, Did he? Yeah. Did he? But John what? Sorry. John hated it. Yeah, John. John. Yeah, absolutely hated it. Yeah. Um, uh, and the, the whole sort of—I don't want to call him a part of a gang, but uh, <laughs> the, the, that was the, the the common feeling about it was, was that it was dreadful and an insult to Buckinghamshire. <laughs> Is that because it was so difficult? Because I mean, I know Ascot, obviously, yeah. a tiny little village. It's almost a backwater village, oh, it really. Is. It's yeah. sort of and in those days, it was even more so. Yeah, it has but, a pub and a bridge. I mean, uh, that's it. Yes. <laughs> but, but that it, bridge, it, yes. it garnered criticism long before it was finished. Right. Um, it was built built out of common flattened bricks, the ordinary ordinary brick yeah. rather than a facing brick. Yeah. And it was designed to be painted white, but the criticism started to 
accruing long before it's got anywhere near a paint pot and a brush, you know. So Uh, in my head, I have this picture of this is that is the building that set you on your road. That is the building that made you what you are. And yet it was not at the time particularly critically well received. Well, uh, it wasn't well received by the local populace. It was well received by fellow professionals. Right. Not Not all. The Bucks chapter of Architects hated it, and one even rang me up. I just, how on earth did you get this publicity? He was absolutely furious. And how did you get publicity? Because by this time it was Who in did? the... Who uh, did? An anonymous member of the Bucks chapter of Architects. Really? When he got the, the Bucks chapter of Architects, gave him the RIP award. The, the uh, one. They didn't. If you remember, it was Robert... Um, no, what was his name? Donut. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I, I, uh, the Bucks chapter of architects, when uh, buildings are put up for an award, get the first go. Right. And uh, how on earth um, this architect, whose full name I can't remember, he rescued it from a paper basket. Oh, really? And decided that it should be looked at. So uh, the Bucks chapter was overridden. Right. So... I guess I'm curious then as to how did you feel about that? Obviously, the story came good, right? But back then when you're just starting out and your first building is getting a lot of publicity, which on the one hand is what every creative needs, but it's not all good publicity. In fact, it sounds predominantly like it wasn't. How did did you feel? uh, I disagree with that. All publicity is good. Oh, you're, you're properly of that, that order. Well, that's why I'm very, I'm very proud of the fact that the first piece of publicity was headed this monstrosity. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, OK. Uh, I mean, obviously I've, I've, always, I've always stood by that as being good publicity. Well, it certainly <laughs> made your name known. Yes. I mean, you know, notoriety yeah, is definitely yeah. a form of infamy. Because or... Margaret and Pauline Craig, John Craig's wife, were sort of fellow shoppers at the village shop, which was... Just opposite the road. Asker Green, uh, the, the the first house. Um, it was it was a pub, wasn't it? A uh, turn village shop. It, it was turn village shop. It wasn't yeah. a pub by that time. Yes. No, Pauline I, got I, invited in by Margaret. I invited Pauline because Pauline had said something about it. She was curious, and I think she was keeping an open mind because we didn't know then that John hated it. And so I said, "Well, come in and have a look." And she came in, and obviously. Uh, you know, liked it. Uh, and then went home and said to John, we're going round to that funny house round the corner really? for coffee. He said, I'm not going anywhere near that bloody thing. Really? <laughs> well, no, worse than that. that effect? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. um, but he'd no choice. And, uh, and as soon as he stepped in through the door, his view completely, it was like Paul on the, St Paul on the... How was it? Damascus, Damascus Road, yes. Yeah. <laughs> They wow. stayed I mean, till one me. in the he morning. He hates so. me saying this, but uh, that, that's what happened. Yeah. Wow. And they yeah. stayed till one in the morning, so you can tell how well it went. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, no, no, one of the attractions was I discovered he could draw. <laughs> you and John had got on very well, as yeah. I said. We spent yeah. five or six hours instead of just a coffee. Yeah. And you realised that he could help you because of his ability to draw. And he wanted someone to help him because he was either just promoted or about to be promoted uh, in charge of the rebuilding of Garland Compton. This was a big advertising agency right. and he was fairly senior. And he somehow persuaded the managing director to appoint Peter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, department. yeah. He, he traditionally, if he needed to do, do some building work, in the, within the agency, you usually sort of create a, a studio or something. John was the the, the first choice right. by them to, to just hand and say, get on and, and do it. Uh, and the, I don't know how, how the friendship had started, but uh, George Valentine, who was joint managing director, li- lived around the corner from John, and they'd always got on and always done things together in this sort right. of way. Yep. Although George had climbed to the top of the ladder and John was still happy. Being, being a creative animal of whatever sort, yeah. you know. And he, he was suddenly told that he, he was in charge of revamping the whole... I think he wanted to say five-storey, wasn't it? Uh, it, was, it was a three-storey building joined to a, to a two-storey building. 
His antecedents were Ellen Terry, and she married uh, Gordon Craig, who was a stage designer, and their son, Edward Gordon Craig, was a very famous uh, stage designer. And John's father, their son, uh, was a set builder. Was it at Pinewood or Ealing or one of those? And John... Edward Gordon Craig what, what, oh, was his grandfather, wasn't yes, he? Yes, his grandfather. And Teddy Craig was his father. Yeah. And John was sort of taken into, I don't know whether it was an apprenticeship or to work with his father at studios. So that was where his practical building th- uh, yeah. came in. But he was also very artistic. And at what stage he uh, went into advertising and became fairly senior at Gull and Compton, I don't know. But that was the wow. position when we, we met him. Yeah. I don't know what led up to this, but I asked him if he'd like us to become a partnership. And he said, what, what would I be doing? She's a fair enough question. And I'd recently been to a lecture at the RIBA by Dennis Laston, who designed the National Theatre, before before there was a National Theatre. And he, he was asked a question from the floor, which was about how are they getting on with the design or something like that. Uh, and his reply was, I was only appointed a year ago and we haven't stopped talking yet. In other words, what a bloody stupid question, you know. <laughs> and that was elaborated into, into the, the, you know, you don't design something until you've got a brief to design for. Yeah. And it was the influence of that answer which led to the combination of when, when John said, what would I be doing? I said, writing answers to that question. In other words, brief writing, to put yeah. it in simple terms. Yeah. And that, that's why I always say that buildings I designed from that, that moment onwards were, were not just designed by me, but, but it, by John's input through the brief writing process, which is as important, if not more important, than uh, yeah. actually scribbling with your pencil. It was just co- coincidental that uh, John was a better scribbler than me anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember him sitting at home in the evening doing, this was long before computer graphics, yeah. doing storyboards by hand, you know. Absolutely amazing. Such a skill, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's a wonderful thing to watch. So is, is John that does uh, all those beautiful drawings that yes. I'm um, so in love with? Yes, probably. <laughs> mm. uh, not all. Uh, Ron Wilson did the plans and, uh, you know, the section through oh, the house. Oh, the, the cover of the, the book, didn't Yes, yeah. yes. John has done the cartoons. Right. Is that, because, that, I mean, the, the book published with Rebo is just, it's one of the most beautiful books I own. Oh, good. that's very nice Thank of you. Well, no, I, I, well, well, it, there, well, I designed the book. Drawings. Well, there you go. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, well, I, well, actually, well, I, well, I remember... In the days when I could see... I'm, I'm a huge fan of technical drawings. I've always yeah, loved yeah. technical drawings. They are an art form in their own right. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, the way people lay things out and the way they're telling a story in a yeah, flat plan. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with a, a pen and pencil and a drawing board. So that book, for me, is an art form all of its own. And in, in a sense, I, I'm not sure I ever get past the beauty of the book. I'm not sure I'm really picturing... Well, Your beautiful buildings. I think I'm just enjoying the, the book. Well, they're, they're probably horrible buildings. They make a nice book. I doubt book. that very much, but the book is just incredible. I, and there's a bit of the, the aesthetic that I love, and it comes across in all of even the side elevations and things. You know, these days it's all 3D visuals, right? It's all CGI'd and everything's hyper, hyper-realistic. And they're great too. And I grew up with, with CAD systems. 
but the, the way the drawings set the building down and you see the way the trees and the things yes. live around the building. And I, was that always part of the language you wanted in your, in your work? Well, my work was definitely influenced by its setting. When we chose this, when we chose this site, we were looking at Ascot Green, and we were very, very much novices in the, in those days. And we looked at this site. We looked at one or two others. This was chosen because of the Whitchurch walls and the trees, yeah. because it, it yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. gave a, a basis, a foundation. In other words, one, one had a a very strong sort of set, setting for whatever one was going to design. Because of the of the characteristics of, of the site which yeah. we which we chose to buy, yeah. in other words, we weren't saying well we can get X number of houses on here. We were saying we we like and, and, and people we could react to the things that are here already, the which the which it was, the, the trees. You you hit something just then that is a curiosity as a photographer. So. I'm sure the same is true in architecture as it is in photography. There are all sorts of breeds of people that create photographs, just as there are all sorts of breeds of people that create buildings. My particular love is reacting to my client. Yes. And you just used the word, you react to, you react oh, yeah. to the environment. Yes. Yeah. 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 How important do you think it is as creatives that we react to the things around us? Well, for us, it's essential. I think for other creatives, it isn't. But uh, you know, I couldn't us. create anything out of out of thin air. No, um, right. Uh, whatever I do, it's got to be a reaction to what I find. So, did you just sit in the middle of this plot, tapping a pencil against your teeth? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you you could not move through this plot. The undergrowth generally was up to about the level of that shelf. In yeah, in fact, it was higher. Wow. One didn't. We didn't really know what we'd bought. Right. Uh, really. Yeah. Although we thought we did. You know. Yeah. Because you couldn't, you couldn't see anything beyond there. Yeah, wherever you stood in it, really. really? Uh, yeah, yeah. We came with a surveyor friend, and we thought we would plot the situation of the walls and the trees. Yeah, and um, we spent. We couldn't most, find the edges for most a start. Of the day, <laughs> and the best we could do was get a rope diagonally from you know more or less one corner, a climbing rope, yeah. to another. And if you wanted to know where anybody was, go and tap the rope. Really. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one time I'd been hacking furiously and I found I was sort of more or less halfway up an apple tree. Yeah, but we but we bought it because we reacted positively to towards the it and, and, and hence yeah. bought it. sort of formation, yes. Because of, of the mystery to some extent. <laughs> so as a, I guess that the extension of that question is, and you've sort of alluded to the reaction of people your buildings and you reacted about uh, you've talked about John Craig being very good at extracting the client brief yeah but of course that in itself is an inherent compromise between the the way you react to an environment when you see it and what the client is asking you to do how do you as a creative how did you manage that process of melding so it's still a Peter Aldington well, building we, we, for, for a start we, we working with John he was able to react to what people desired in appointing you. Yeah. Um, and he was able to interpret that in a way that I could understand. Right, so he became your... Yeah, he, he was absolutely vital. Yeah, almost key. a translator. Yes, yes. From one to the other. Yes. Um, so much so that, uh, you know, partway through a design, I might say, say to John, what do you think of this? And he'd say, well, if you just do that and then this and then that... You might be a lot nearer. You'll be a lot nearer to what I think, what so, I understand. Yeah. The client. Did you is ever, saying, Did you ever find that process frustrating? No. I found it constructive. That's the doghouse at Barnstaple. Well, the, yeah. I mean, the, the, it's one of the nicest houses I built, I think. You know, and one of the most, the most recent. Um, so my landmark trust now, so you ought to book yourself a stay. Oh, okay, um, <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> You'd be horrified by what they charge. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> they bought it because there was they had this lovely hillside site in Devon, rolling hills, but a wonderful view uh, away beyond. Yeah. Uh, 
May was excessively tidy. I mean, really, really tidy. May being the the house, the lady of the house. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Ian, her husband, was a chemist. And pharmacist. He, a pharmacist, yes. Yeah. He brought all his paperwork home. Uh, to Well, you know yeah. all the paperwork yeah, yeah. there is to do if you're running a business. Oh, yeah. And she could not stand these papers all over the house. And he said, I'm not having building this wonderful new house and, you know, being tidied, tidied away into a, a back room. So you... Called an office. Yeah. Yes. So you develop this lovely little place. Um, the house, you go down a very steep winding drive and you arrive in an area which has the dining room, the kitchen, and then a private corridor off with all the bedrooms and they all face uh, over this lovely yep. sitting. And then he accommodates the site by a flight of five steps down into the living area and the living area is the whole of the rest of the house yeah. uh, so you can stand in the kitchen the dining room and enjoy this wonderful view Peter put two steps down into the living room and in between he built this uh, little box which you sit up there you can talk to whoever it is in the kitchen you have all your papers but concealed in properly uh, constructed shelves it doesn't impinge on the living room at all and this this wall in fact forms the back of the living room and uh, had built-in seating yep. against it and yet you're in the living room and yet you're in the living room yep and it got, got christened the dog house by, uh, <laughs> may, by our client may christened it the dog house but the funny thing is that with that yeah, but, but there's, a, there's part of this story you haven't told. <laughs> um, well, I, I was getting to that, but I was just going to say, with that this room, the funny thing is that because he could enjoy his views and was really happy there and had the right shelving for all his little bits, mm-hmm. he was very, very tidy thereafter. Oh, really? <laughs> and then, <laughs> then, then Peter tidy Peter, anyhow. Yes, Peter will tell you <laughs> the yeah, rest the, of it. The untidiest bit was in the imagination of his wife, Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, May did not like this on paper. Well, this well the, the, John Craig's job by the, by this time was extracting a proper brief out of clients. Yeah, and uh, that was that was how we related to each other and, yeah. and worked together. Uh, and he got two completely conflicting pieces oh, of information. Yeah. One from May, who uh, said, "I'm not having all your." rubbish papers in this beautiful house in this beautiful view you're going to have an office tucked away somewhere and he said I'm not spending all this money on this beautiful house in this beautiful yeah. view to be tucked away with the dustbins around the, around the back you yeah. know and both these were fed in yeah this, this is why we justified how we used to work and John had to decipher this and, and give me something I could work to as a brief this, this was a sort of Ferocious conflict between husband and wife. We, we you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take it. <laughs> uh, and and he, he he just put both points of view yeah. down in a brief wow. uh, and said, "Sort that one out." <laughs> <laughs> I've done my bit. Yeah. Thanks, yes. John. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was definitely a cheers, mate. <laughs> and out of this became a corral in in the in the middle of a middle of a house at a, at a, a point where the slope of the slope of the site can be resolved by putting five steps from one level to another. The upper level was the kitchen and dining, and at the lower level, which the kitchen and dining could overlook, was was the, the living area. I won't call it a living room because it wasn't a room; it was the rest of the house, really, apart from bedroom. Yes. And the, the transition between the two was, was this, this corral, which was uh, about the height of those cushions behind you. Wasn't the crux um, of the story. Take, taking taking yes. up the... Up, that, uh, up the that May the, said... The, 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 the slope, um, and it, it became christened the doghouse. But wasn't it that when May saw this design, or it was presented to her, she wasn't going to have this, she saw it as an impedance... And uh, she said, no, she wasn't having it. And you said, May, we'll have it built and then, um, you know, see whether you like it or not. 
And she argued about this, and you finally said, "May I'm walking off this site if you don't uh, you oh, know, is, let us at least try this." This was, this was an advantage of having John as a partner. <laughs> yes, he said you can't do that. There's a bit of background there. I mean, May, May was my father's secretary, or right. had been, right? Um, uh, and it was effectively part of the family. Yeah, part of my family. Yeah, um, I mean, you know. She, she used to tell me she used to change my nappies when she got annoyed. So, you know, she felt... She <laughs> An image of you, Peter, that I didn't need, but thank you. <laughs> no, but it, it shows how intimate the relationship yeah. was, you yeah. know. Um, or had been till then. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Ultimately, did she appreciate the design? Well, yes. that's why. And that's uh, why we got, they... the, we got a letter from them. Yes. Saying, we, we, we never... How was it phrased, uh, it's the best, the real phrase was, it's the best thing in the house. Yeah, but it, it was, it provided us with what we didn't oh, yes. know we needed. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's a lovely line. Yes. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Provided us with something we didn't know we needed. Mm -hmm. oh, I, wonder, I mean, that, surely that is an architect. I mean, that is... Well, that's what it's about. Oh, it is, yeah. It's yeah. an accolade, yeah. yes. Yeah. And also, what was interesting is you said he changed his behaviour. Oh, <laughs> Architecture changed his behaviour. Because he had the right place to put things yeah. and to keep, you know, the VAT receipts from yeah. the other things yeah. and et cetera, et cetera, yes. And then, and then the other thread that's really intriguing about that is, is all about partnership, not just May and her husband, pharmacist but john and but john and you and also you as well i mean you, you know i mean obviously well, i didn't have any part in this no well i all right let's <laughs> let's let's i'm gonna dig into that margaret because i suspect you do far more than probably you give yourself credit for well uh, well by ascot green you know we had barely finished this house and certainly during the building of barnstaple uh, we then had two small children and that's why I say that apart from taking, driving Peter to Reading to catch the train to Taunton and then yeah. May would pick him up, yeah. um, I didn't have much to do with this except you know, managing the household for him to come back yeah. to. And uh, I don't think I visited that site except once right at the beginning, and this was before we had the children, the structure was built by Gordon Phipps in an Oxford workshop and transported down there for a firm of builders to essentially put up the supporting pillars and the roof under which the rest of the house could be built. Uh, when you see the house, you'll, you'll yeah. understand more about that structure. Uh, in fact, they were very, very good builders and they could have been trusted with the whole lot, but Peter right. didn't know that. And I went down at that stage when you were doing that and setting it out and, you know, talking to them about what to, would happen. And they would plan the next week's work and then Peter would go down the following week. And after that one visit, I don't think I vis visited until May and Ian had moved in. Oh, I can't remember. No, I don't think so. But uh, anyway, that's uh, the monster. Well, I'm always fascinated by partnerships and the different yes, sides yes. that people bring particularly to, to a creative, because the thing about creativity is there's very little limitation to it, if you see what I mean. Oh, oh yes. It's, it's only what's going on in your head. That's, that's all you have, really. If you, if, you, if you can hold a pencil or these days drive a computer program, everything's about imagination. It's about things you think, which means it's almost entirely about how you feel. And partnerships are integral to that. They make it possible. Or do they not? I don't know. They do for me. I, I need it. Peter, at that time, or increasingly, as students came in, which you and John had to supervise, and also the final people, because architects, I don't know whether it still is, but after they've finished and they've qualified at university, before they can be registered, they have to do another year, which is called professional code and practice, and they have an exam at the end of that. Uh, so we ha you had some qualified architects who were doing that, and therefore that required a lot of supervision. And coincidentally, uh, Peter was doing a building in Doncaster, so Doncaster and whatnot, and <laughs> travelling in those days was not what it is yeah. now with uh, motorways and all the rest of it. So that Peter and John, too, were working 
a four nights a week, really, because they'd come back, having been away, have to catch up on all the office What about the rest of the week? The it was more than four, well, four, four and nights. And a lot of weekends, <laughs> yes. Uh, so that essentially, you know, it was just household support and no interaction between us at all. I mean, at one stage... I said, look, these children are growing up without family meals. You must have one meal a week with yeah. them. It wasn't family meals. It was uh, actually taking part in their lives. Well, yes, th there was that. I, mean, but uh, I can remember Something you realise afterwards. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because Claire now says it was like being brought up in a one-parent family yeah. at that time. Because and, and, I mean, for me, you know, that, that chimes in, because that was the career I had before I came into photography. Yes. I was traveling all over the world. I spent, even when I was working in London, you know, I'd leave at six in the morning and be back at nine o'clock at night. And that, if you're a small how, child, how they John never saw was. you. Went, yes, it, yes <laughs> before he came into partnership with Peter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And the kids just thought I was working abroad. But there's a, there's a question I kind of wanted to ask, which is, it's a simple question, and it, it may or may not be one of Peter's one-word answers, you know. Uh, I've, got, I, I've got two words. Being from Lancashire, I'm sure you have. Uh, what, I, what I wanted to ask was, is there one thing as a creative that you think is a paramount skill or a useful talent to have to make it in a world that actually doesn't necessarily understand the value of creativity? What, what, I suppose, what advice would you give to your young self? Uh, I suppose all I can think of is, is follow your instinct. Did you ever doubt yourself? Yeah, you doubt yourself all the time, don't you? If you don't, you're not being real. You, you, you've, got, you've got to be questioning not only what you do, but why you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I guess my question is, both creatively and just physically, where do you get your energy from? What is it? that gets you, I nearly said, leaping out of bed in the morning and he skipping doesn't. down the rooms. <laughs> I knew as I looked at Margaret, you might be like, oh, well, <laughs> you have to roll him out now, do you, Margaret? <laughs> or say, Paul will be here in X minutes. <laughs> actually, actually, to be fair, he did get out in good time this morning, but uh, there have been some times. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have any energy these days. No, you haven't. Not, not Slow down a bit. But... In the old days, uh, you were just, you know, just driven, I think. Must have been, yeah. Well, when you think that he was doing all this, and then, as he often says, and as I say, working four nights a week and most weekends, he still did the garden. You yeah. Know? Although, uh, yes, I did a lot of the navvying in the garden, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm not a gardener, but the navvying I did enjoy. <laughs> When you so actually both of you, you're on record as saying this, and it's the first time I've heard you say this. Is you both you've said you're not a garden designer, and you're now saying you're not a gardener, and yet English heritage <laughs> would somewhat argue have, have that you've succeeded in creating this incredible landscape out there. It's wonderful. So I can look. You, at the you don't have to be labelled a garden designer to yeah. create anything, do you? It's, I don't know if it's about labels as possibly attitude. It's attitude. I yeah. can look at the garden and say, you know, that balance is right or that balance is wrong. And it's not just the size of trees or the size of bushes. It's their shape, their texture, their uh, leaf, uh, the contrasts. I mean, as someone once said, every shade of green from yellow to black. Yeah. And you will understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That. And, and sometimes well, Peter's wearing all of them. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, got it. <laughs> and um, when you're planting for colour, like the um, you know tulips, you can have a wonderful sway starting in creamy, the palest, yeah. delicate, creamy yellows through, and you gradually go through the roseate colours to mauves and purples, and etc. I can look at that, but I'm not a gardener. I couldn't tell you what plants will produce those effects. Peter, who has a, or did have a huge knowledge of plants, was very, very knowledgeable horticulturally. And it, indeed, you did have a second career after you gave up the architecture. Oh, I know. Yeah, um, Is that right? I, I, yes. I didn't know you designed other gardens. Oh, yes. oh yeah. yeah did I you? Did. 
but I didn't um, didn't advertise the fact. Um, but but if somebody wanted me to do something, yeah, I would do it if I if I thought I could, if I liked them, if you like. <laughs> Yes, you yes. Know. Yeah, he became really a picky, it. a picky creative. Yes, very definitely. Mm. And that 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 could range from sort of showing somebody how to lay paving slabs to to designing the whole thing. You know, there are, there are a number of small gardens around in, in this village which had my hand in. in really? Yeah. I didn't know that. But they're also. No, well, I'm not sure I know where they where they are now. Father <laughs> <laughs> afield. There are bigger ones farther afield, though. Yeah. Henley and um, Old Harlow. So when did you retire from architecture? Uh, architects don't retire, do they? 86 rings a bell. Why does that ring a bell? When did you get your OBE? I think... 1986. I was going to say, I think that's 86. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I? I can't. Gosh, yes, I can't remember either. You've had such a magnificently long career. You've... You've been retired longer than I've been in business. <laughs> you know, uh, yes, exactly. I, I didn't go to university till eighty-eight, and you've been retired since eighty-something. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, you almost formed an entirely second career out of designing gardens. The whole thing is about motivation and determination. And I'm, I, you said something earlier. You answered a question earlier that I hadn't expected the answer, which is about insecurity about that side of it. Do you still feel that way after, you know, your OBE, your credentials with Reba, listed buildings, a listed garden? I mean, these are, listed gardens are pretty unusual. There aren't that many around. Listed 20th century gardens are, are nearly zero, yeah. Would you do it the same again? If you looked at your work today, would you do it the same again? Oh, I think you've got to say yes to that because mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what else I'd do. So there you have it, two incredible people, one long-lived loving partnership and a body of work spanning six decades. Hopefully you enjoyed it and will forgive me for allowing the conversation to thread its own way away from my original plan. I was enjoying it too much and hopefully you feel the same. I didn't ask them to nominate a book as I do normally with our interviewees, as I already knew what I wanted the link here to be. It's the celebratory book, Houses, created by Peter Aldington, which, if like me, you love beautiful pencil drawings, is a stunning collection of Peter's architectural work. It was created for the Royal Institution of British Architects to celebrate Peter's career. I am lucky enough to have a signed and dedicated copy here at the studio, but it is available on Amazon if anyone is curious. So, as I pack my bags for a hopefully hot trip to a part of the world I've never explored, Here's to you all for listening to the end of this podcast. As ever, if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, please do email paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. If you're interested in any of our workshops, just search for Paul Wilkinson Photography Workshops, which should point you straight to our website. And whatever else you do, remember, be kind to yourself. Take care. Take care.